0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. I just want to say we're so thankful to have Dan Haspin and his family here this morning. It's going to be a blessing to hear him preach. And uh, his text for this morning's message is from Exodus chapter 33. I'm just going to go ahead and read the entire chapter, Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you among the way. For you are a stiff necked people. For you are a stiff necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp. all the people would rise up and worship each at his own tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but what you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you, I have found favor, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy.
1: All right, good morning. Thank you for reading that lengthy passage. Um, we're going to look in Exodus 33. It's um, kind of going back to some fundamentals and basics of Christianity, and that is, uh, what, what is it all about? Is it not about uh, a personal relationship that has no end? It starts in Christ, and then we will, throughout eternity, we're going to explore and, and find more of the glory of God um, one of my desires one of I know your pastor and, you, and many people here our desires is, is to see a revival a real connecting with God seeing God work in a way where there's people that love God desire him want to pray want to study his word want to fellowship together and so we ask this question why is there not more of that why is there not more of a passion for God's for his kingdom uh, for his church to be expanded, for his work and his gospel to be proclaimed. Um, well, I, I don't know all the reasons for that, but I think it goes back to the fundamental desire for God himself, and you're searching for God and, and wanting the real thing. I was reading the Sea Writes, uh, their missionaries in Thailand, reading their prayer letter, and they said they picked for their furlough theme uh, the two Ds delighting in Christ and declaring his gospel. You delight, and then you declare um, and he, they, they claim they're connected. So do you agree? The more we delight in God, the more we, we find all that we desire really in him, uh, then will we not turn around and declare and, and all the outworking and what we see uh, on the outside and the externals of what, of what Christianity is, it starts with an internal delighting and really a passion for God. These are expressed in the books, Knowing God. The pursuit of God, desiring God, if you've read any of those, what what what's what's at the core of, of all these things? It's it's God making us to desire Him and then finding Him as He gives us grace to do this. That I believe is at the heart of Christianity. At the heart of Christianity, even coming to know Him from our lost state, and this beautiful song of He will keep us then in that kept state of being in relationship with him but we be, we come to know him initially but the christian life doesn't just end there like as if we've now we've got him and then we stop we continue on and we we continue to seek him amen is that is that is there something inside of you that says this is absolutely true this is why we're here this is why we 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 get a passion for for going on in the christian life beyond just that initial finding him the Bible commands us to seek the Lord. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In Athens, Paul declared there that God has ordained that men should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. But we do know that the Bible says that no one seeks after God. So what what's the answer to that? We know that's because God moves to draw us, to reach out. We respond to his initial reaching out to us. And Tozier writes in the beginning of uh, the pursuit of God, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to that pursuit, right? The impulse to pursue God originates with God. But the outworking of that is our following hard after him. So let me just throw this out. Having found God at salvation, do we stop seeking him? Absolutely not, right? And so we have all these verses applied to people that already know him and their commands to do what? Seek the Lord. But you say, I found him. It doesn't matter. Keep seeking him and seek his strength. Seek his presence continually. Right. And, and uh, I think we all, if we know him, we, our heart, just the, the spirit of God is rising up in us saying, yes, this is where life and light continues in, in God. And then all the blessings of continually seeking him. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It says in Psalm thirty four ten, Psalm 105, 3, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. There's, there's joy there and there's desert and dryness as we wander from what our heart truly desires. So I believe we see this heart of pursuit manifest among successful, if you would, or those Christians and, and the heroes of the faith throughout history. They all were human beings who struggled with their, their sinful tendencies, yet God's grace was evident. But what was common among them? I believe that they all had a passion for God himself, not just for his gifts, not just for what uh, you can get from him as a, as a secondary thing, but for God himself. And so we see this, uh, obviously, throughout the Psalms, David, Psalm 63, 1 through 3. Verses that speak to all of our souls. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Is in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips shall praise you. He's just expressing uh, the desire for God himself. No secondary things. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Amen. Paul, in Philippians 3.10, says that I may know him, but he had already come to know him, but yet he wanted to know him and, and talks about the aspects of the power of his resurrection, even the, the fellowship of his sufferings, but in him. He had written earlier in verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, he counted everything as loss because of the excellencies, as in the King James, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He valued the surpassing worth and knowledge of Christ as the most important thing in his life. And I believe it fueled his missionary efforts. So why are there not more missionaries and those that are just willing to, to just put it all on the line for Christ, Christ's goal and, and his mission? Well, I believe it comes out of a heart to know Christ and it will help you through the, the trials of all of that. And then here in Exodus 33, which we'll look at today, where, where Moses just says this, please, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. This is the Moses that had seen the glory of God in Egypt. He had seen the, the parting of the Red Sea. He had just been up on the mountain meeting with God, and yet he still asked, to see God's glory. Show me more of you. Is that, is that just crazy? Is that What is he asking? Has he not seen enough? Folks, have we not seen enough? Haven't you seen God already? Can't you just stop and just sit back and say, well, I'm there. Well, no, this isn't how it works. It's endlessly pursuing the infinite glory of God. And I think that's what will be the, the joy of, of eternity future. Is that we will get more windows into seeing God's endless glory. And so we start today, and I just want to ask, are you satisfied with what you know about God? Are you you good? Have you learned enough? Did you take some theology courses? Have you, you know, you think, and and I'm glad we should know our our doctrine, but does it end there? Or is there something inside of of you and, and me that desires to see a living God in our lives continually and endlessly and more? Like David, do you thirst for God in a dry land? The psalmist was on a a journey to know God more. And I think that we all should be as well. Well, let's look at Moses' journey to know God more in Exodus 33. Here's the setting. The Israelites had wickedly departed from the Lord. Moses had gone up Mount Mount Sinai. And they had done what at the base of Mount Sinai? They made a golden calf to worship. The Lord wanted to kill them all. You Look at the, the story and start again with Moses. Moses had interceded, but three thousand men had died, and the people were plagued. And really, the reality is if I look at this and see this correctly, is that Israel's on the edge of God's mercy. I mean, it's like they're about ready to fall off. And God is saying, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna wipe you all out. Moses intercedes. Verse 1: the Lord said to Moses, now, Depart, go up from here, and you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land that I swore, to your fathers. Verse 2, he says, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out these people listed there. Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you in the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. Verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, what's the disastrous word? I believe it's that he said, he will not go up with them. They mourned and then talks about them putting off their ornaments because of what God had said, if I'm with you, I'm going to consume you. And so they're, they're, they're brought to a place of, of realizing their danger and, and they're on the edge. And uh, so they put away the ornaments from them. So he commands them to go up. I'm going to send my angel, but I will not go up with, with you. And they acknowledge this was a disastrous word. But, but in the midst of this and the discouragement, really, and Moses could have been totally discouraged, but he's going to personally know God more than ever. And verse 11 talks about the way he interacts with God face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend. And it doesn't contradict that you can't see God's face. It's just a kind of uh, uh, an expression that basically says he has an open and clear communication with God as a a friend speaks with a friend. And yet Moses is going to know God more. But how? Let's see if we can pull some timeless truths as we... uh, Think about how to go through Old Testament narrative. Are there timeless and universal truths that we can learn from Moses' encounter with God? Number one, to know God more, you must take the journey for yourself. There must be an aspect where this is totally you alone um, before God. Verse seven, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. Again, it seems to indicate that outside the camp this is before the tabernacle. is a place you can meet with God, but you had to go outside. The, 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 the people of Israel were a mixed multitude. Uh, there were some that were just along for the ride, getting the blessings. But obviously, everything is individual when you stand ultimately before God. And so if you want to meet with God, you got to leave the camp. You've got to go and encounter God there. And uh, if you had the heart to do this, and I believe uh, this is teaching what the Bible teaches, and that is in the end, being part of a group, even a godly group, does not guarantee that you will know God personally and that you will continue on in your journey alone. You cannot else seek God for you. Children, your parents can't seek God for you. Church, your pastor cannot seek God for you. You can do it together in a sense, and we are to do it together together but there's a part of your life that is totally hidden. You go to the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about praying to be seen of men, but he says, no, pray in secret, right? What's that secret highlighting? It's it's pointing out that, that there is a part of your life that is totally hidden, totally unseen. Um, I think it's best illustrated by the root system of a tree that is hidden but vital to the life of the tree. You don't see what's going on under the surface, but if it's not there, that tree will wither and die, and Christians can for a while fake it and we can put on a show. But in the end, when the trials come, when the storms come, if we are not uh, in, a, in a place of hidden seeking of God, getting our roots grounded and, and, and secure in him, we're going we're gonna to topple. And so we are to seek God alone or individually, if you would, even if others don't, even if all around us, everyone abandons him. Can you not say in your heart, I don't care if though everyone else walks away from God I will seek God, I will seek God, and I will do it on my own, and I will do it personally. And so we ask this question, today, did you get alone with God and seek his face? This morning, we're here together this morning, and hopefully we're all seeking God, but did you open your Bible this morning and say, God, I need to see your glory, I need to see your face, I need to hear from you today. Lord, even as I go to church and I meet with with other believers, Lord, I must hear from you. Speak to my heart, Lord. I need to see your glory because this is what, what the Christian life is all about. Alone, individually, if you would, this tent of meeting that Moses had set up, that you had to go outside the camp if you wanted to meet with God. As David spent much time alone with God as a shepherd, Moses as well, 40 years in the desert. Christ himself took time alone to go away and spend time with his father. And then Paul even, uh, he had his initial time away alone in Arabia. He, uh, of course, and we all must every day and individually seek God. Do you agree? This is a timeless truth. This is, this is, uh, this is universally true for all of us. Is I will stand alone before God without anybody else, so I must seek God alone and find him for myself. Secondly, to know God more, you must learn it from his word. Look at verse 12. And this is Moses now is interacting with God. Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. You you notice that two times he basically says, God, you said this. And I want to know what the meaning of what you're telling me here. On the basis of God telling Moses something, he approaches God. Lord, you just told me to bring up the people, but you haven't told me who would go with me. And without your presence, I'm really concerned. And then you said, you said, you know me by name. That's a precious truth. And that I found grace in your sight. Lord, if that's true, I want to stand upon that platform of my standing with you and your word to me. And Lord, Lord, I want to know what's going on here. And Lord, I want to interact with you. And that's teaching us that upon the basis of God's very word, Moses pursues further knowledge of God. For us as well, God has revealed himself in his, through his spirit by, in the word. And we, t- together, we open the word. And it's upon this that we climb to stand before God and say, Lord, look what you said. And Lord, I'm claiming this promise. And Lord, I, I want to know the meaning of this. Lord, sh- tell me more about what's going on. The word that God has given us is God breathed. It's from his very mouth. So it is God's very word. What we say and what we sing and all that we proclaim ultimately cannot be based on, on my opinion, your opinion. It has to be God's word. And that is what he has given us. A precious revelation of himself so we can have it. And then we can say, Lord, I want to know you more based upon it. And, and therefore, the principle to know God more, one must know and love his word. I hope we do that together. And I hope it's, it's not the end. Your Bible study is not the end. of the, It's just simply a means to know God. Do you, you know this. And, and is that your heart? God help us to know him. And know his word and love his word. Thirdly, to know God more we must have a desire to obey God. Look at verse 13. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. That I may know you. In order to find favor in your sight, consider too that this nation is your people. What is he saying when he says, show me your ways? Isn't that essentially, Lord, tell me what I need to do. Lord, tell me what is wrong. Tell me what is right. Tell me what I need to do more of, what I need to do less of. Lord, what I need to put out of my life, what I need to put in. Lord, what is your way? He had a heart to know what God's standard was and what he needed to change to conform God, he had a submissive heart, willing to obey no matter what. And that's as we open the word and as we come together and as we are open to to God's voice to us through his word, we must always come with an attitude that says, Lord, even before I, I, I open and find out what you say, Lord, I will do what you tell me to do. I have a heart that's willing to submit because all other things are secondary, and it's, I don't care if I have the world. But I lose you, Lord. I must have you. And I'm willing to put aside whatever you tell me to in my life. So I could give testimony. And you, you as well, I'm sure, as you have, you've had crossroads in your life, crises in your life. And you probably, and I, I could just tell you about my own experience. I'm all alone. I'm just going through so much. And I need to find God. I need to, to hear from him. And I get down on my knees in the living room all alone. And I just say, Lord, is there anything in my life? That's wrong, Lord. Is there anything that that I need to change? And and I just beg Him, and and I hear from Him. There's just nothing else that it doesn't matter about my stuff or my idols or my little little things that I want to do, Lord. In the end, Lord, show me if I need to get rid of something, if I need to add something, if there's something I'm not doing or what. Is that your heart? That and Lord, generally we should we should have that heart, but there are times when we just need to lay it on the line, write a list, Lord. I know you're convicting me about this area that that I just am hanging on to. And in the end, Lord, I, I want you to show me your way. And it's through this submissive heart and willingness to submit to God's will, whatever it is, that we will come to know God more. It is having a heart that is repentant when God is convicting us. Does God love this kind of heart? Does he love this kind of heart? Look what he says to Moses in verse 14. He said this, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Have you experienced that? The joy of just laying it on the line and just saying, Lord, I'm going to submit my whole life, my, every detail of it, Lord. What is your will? And God loves that. He blesses that. And he says, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. We could call that the most, some of the most precious words in the Bible. Fourthly, to know God more, realize you can't make it without him. Verse 15, he, Moses, said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What if God doesn't go with us? What if God is not present? Would it make any difference? To Moses it did. What did he say? If you're not with me, I don't want to go. I know you've promised us the the promises of the promised land and all that that's ahead of us. But Lord, if you're not here, if you're not with me, I cannot do it. You must help me. And so I asked this question and we had to ask it of ourselves. What if God withdrew from us? Would it make any difference? Would it make any difference in how you live this week? If God was just gone, you go to that, that verse about Samson. He did not know that the Lord had, had gone from him. Have you ever thought about that? That might be us sometimes. It wouldn't even make any difference. Is God there or not? Would we even notice? Or, and this is how it ought to be, is God's presence and grace such a daily reality that you would know instantly, oh my word, God's not with me. I am alone. I am on my own on this. And I can't stand it. And I, I will do whatever it takes to get back. I will confess whatever sin that needs to be confessed. And we would cry out, Lord, don't leave me, don't hide your face from me. We see this in the Psalms. We see this uh, just in the heart of true believers that, that walk with God. Lord, I need you. You are my light, you are my life. In reality, it's not just a concept or a theology that we learn, but it's a reality in our walk with him. You are everything to me, God, you're everything. Don't show me less of yourself, don't withdraw. Lord, show me more, show me more. Are we aware that without Christ, we can do nothing? Is that it in John 15? And that's the fact. You know, we can go through the motions, and I've gone through the motions, and you probably have too, and it's just we're getting dry, and we're not really having that close walk with him, and suddenly we're just, we're just hollow. But in a while, For a while, we, it seems like God lets us kind of continue on, but in the end, it will be revealed. We must have him. And without him, I can do nothing of eternal value. Lord, I need you I need to pray that even now and, and in this week. Moses continues in verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? Is it not? in you're going with us so that we are distinct. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Well, how do we stand apart from just any moral code or religion in the world? Is it not that we have the living God with us? In the end, sometimes churches, even in our theology, we we can get very intellectual and just the facts. But the fact is, is that in the end, we need the presence of God here. We need him to work, bring us to a place of conviction, just constantly dealing with us in a real and living way. And that shows that we have a walk with the living God. And that shows us that we're distinct from every other people on the face of the earth, that we have the living God who goes with us. May that be our cry, Lord, show yourself in a living and real way and, and working in a, in a very dynamic way, in a, in a way that we could call a revival that's continually happening every day, every time we open the word of God. Verse 17, again, we're, we're learning how God reacts to this. What is God's heart to these kinds of requests, to this kinds of kind of heart? Look at verse 17, the Lord says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Was God pleased? Is God happy with this kind of heart? Absolutely. Will he be pleased with the kind of heart today for you to to come to him, begging to know his way, wanting to know him, saying, Lord, I can't do it without him. He says, Moses, I will do what you ask because I am pleased with you. This is what I want from you. This This is... Glorifying to me. You found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. That's, a, I think, a phrase that just means that you are, you are precious to me. I know all about you, and it's a personal relationship. We interact in a very personal way, and of course, you found favor in my sight. Ultimately, that's going to be in Christ and, and his provision in Christ for our sin problem and our lack of righteousness problem, all resolved in the person of Christ. that that they're looking forward to, even at this time. And then lastly, to know God more, be bold in your requests and expectations of God. And Moses just says this, please, please God, show me your glory. Do we have any idea what Moses just asked to see? Someone wrote this, I believe that the courts of heaven hushed their anthems of praise. They may have stood there in silent awe, God's best friend had just asked God to show him the glory of God, the audacity or the praise to God that he's worthy to be asked this kind of thing. Can God fill this kind of request? Can God, you know, can he meet that enormous request? Yes, he's the infinite, all glorious one. Call to me and I will answer you. It's a command. It delights him when we do this said, I will, sh- I will tell you great and mighty things that you have not known. I want to tell you great and mighty things that you don't know about. I want to be asked this kind of thing. Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think would desire, I think it's assumed that he wants us to ask to the utmost, the most that we could ask, do it because he's able to do far abundantly what you could even think of asking. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace. Enter into the very presence of God and ask to see his glory. And ask to see him work and do what only he can do in your life, in the lives of others, in the life of your church fellowship. God, do great things. And again we ask, is God upset with Moses' request? And a resounding no. Verse 19, just time after time after time, we're seeing God just loving this kind of heart. And he, God said, verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God is delighted to show himself to a sincere soul. What do you think? Do you think God is more eager to show himself than we are to see him. Is he more passionate to reveal his glory than we are to see his glory? Who's more passionate? I'm going to say that it's God who who wants to show himself more than we want to see him. And we're never going to outdo him on that. So here's the promise. Moses would see God's goodness. Do you want to see God's goodness? God, show me your goodness. I've seen it to a degree. I want to see it to a greater degree. And he's going to proclaim his name. He will show grace and mercy to those he chooses to. Now, today, with further revelation, we know that he he has chosen to show his grace and mercy to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're, 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 You're going to see it. We have seen it. If you're saved today, you've seen it. You've seen the beginning of it, we could say, but you haven't seen the end of it, and you never, I don't believe you ever will see the end of it. That's what we're going to spend eternity exploring. But here's the limitation to Moses. He said, you cannot see my face, verse 20, for man shall not see me and live. We cannot see the full glory of God and live as sinful men in our, in our condition. We cannot fully behold his holiness and wonder of our perfect God, but you know, we can see some of it, And we have seen some of it already this morning. We've already sung it. We've already uh, known it to some degree, but certainly for those who seek, God will reveal that and he will not turn us away. And here's the provision, verse 21. The Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you will stand on the rock. And again, I'm talking about precious words. What are the most precious words? I I don't know. Behold, there is a place by me. Those are precious words to me. There's a place for me. you ever feel like you don't belong? Like you're, Uh, we're we're third culture kids, you know, we're, we're between cultures. We're just, we don't fit anywhere, but we fit here. There's a place. As Jesus said, I will be, I will prepare a place for you. There's a place for us. And we could, we could make this application on the rock. Of course, that's in Christ that our, our standing is before God. That's what God has provided. And in him, we have all that we need, all that require our sins taken away, our righteousness the righteousness the perfect righteousness of god imputed to us i stand in his perfect righteousness and i stand with a place next to god in the presence of god into the holy place that he has provided for those who seek him and this is what moses found this is what we find here today in our lives and it's only in christ and in christ we shall forevermore see god's glory Verse 22, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So just trying to understand what he's saying here. He's talking about hand, back, his face. God is using anthropomorphisms, figurative human terms to describe himself. We know God is spirit, but he's just trying to, in some way, saying, you obviously can't see the front full You have to see, you have to be guarded, and I'm going to protect you from from just, you know, you, you being consumed by my full glory. But in the end, he's simply making a provision to grant Moses' request, I believe, to comfort Moses in a wicked day, to encourage Moses, who's simply asking to see more of God's glory. And then the narrative stops. And it goes on, and I don't know what happened, but Moses knew what happened. He saw the glory of God. He knew more of God. God granted him his wish. So I want to just ask, would he do the same for you? Would he do the same for me? Say, well, I don't think I could or should. Well, I I believe the Bible tells us that we can and that we should and that God will be pleased to, to answer our request 2021 What is it, June? Sorry, the date. On this day, as time moves on, how many thousands of years later, as he is constantly seeking and wanting to reveal himself to those that he is moving in their hearts to do this. And God delights to show himself to the sincere soul who simply wants to know him. Sometimes life is comfortable and predictable, and we drift away from a living walk with God. Amen? I mean, that, that does happen. We act like we've arrived. We may know our theology, and I hope we do. I hope we want to know more. But then we stop pursuing God. We, we get very intellectual. We get very complacent. And this is just the human condition. This is why God, in his grace, gives us trials to where it just through the trial, it brings us back to our knees to where we want him to kind of get the solution to the trial. But it seems like we're using him. But no, we, in the end, we, he wants us to find him and get back to him where our life and our joy is. When we get to this spot, what happens in our lives? I'm just speaking from my own experience. Our faith decreases because we're comfortable. Our joy then decreases. We found that to be true. It's very closely related. We become very dry in our relationship with God. We go back to, Lord, I need you in this dry and thirsty land. I'm I'm just living the motions, but where are you, Lord? Well, let's be challenged by Moses this morning, who had already experienced amazing things with God, more than I have ever seen. The glory and hand of God leading the Israelites out up on the mountain, receiving the, the Ten Commandments, and yet He's he asked to see more, more. Lord, please show me more of yourself, because that is where my joy is, and that's where you are most glorified. We see similar prayers of David, Paul, and godly Christians through the ages. I see it in that prayer letter where let's delight in God, then we'll declare him. And those two are related. There were those that will sacrifice all else in the pursuit of the knowledge of God. Just quoting Tozier here in the beginning of his book. How tragic that we in this dark day, we have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. You understand what he's trying to say. We've got to do it alone. We've been snared in the wrong thinking that if we found him, we need no more seek him. No, our salvation is just the beginning of the journey. In the midst of this great chill, there are some who will turn away with tears to hunt some lonely place and pray, oh God, show me thy glory. They want to taste, they want to touch with their hearts to see the inner, with their inner eye the wonder that is God. He says, I want to deliberately encourage this mighty longing after God. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. If our churches are complacent, if our churches just get satisfied with where we are, we will not grow. we got to, Lord, take away our complacency. Christ waits to be wanted. Too bad that with so many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope not. Let's hope there's something within every single one of us this morning that wants to know God, that this would become our driving passion. And in that, we will see gospel expansion. We will see churches start. we will see people that say, I'm, I'm laying things on the line. God wants me to do, to do things that are sacrificial, but it's worth it because of the wonder and glory that is God. Please God, show me your glory. And if we do, if we have this heart, I believe God will be pleased with us and He will reveal more of himself to those who seek Him. Just some timeless principles from this example of Moses. How do we find him? How do we seek him like this? Well, it has to be individually. Only you can do this. Make time for it. Make it your heart and priority. And it's through his word. It's what he's revealed already. Based on his promises, his revelation in the Bible, you can know God and know him more. With a heart to be right with him, to submit. No matter what, Lord, I'm going to, whatever it needs to be taken out or whatever it needs to be added, Lord, I need to know your way. Show me your way. And then realizing we can't make it without him. That life is dry and meaningless without him. And then lastly, boldly asking to see his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this example of Moses. And may, may this heart be our heart. And Lord, may we, if we've gotten dry, may we just find a place alone with you and just seek your face. And say, God, I need to know that I'm right with you that you are smiling upon me that you're hearing my prayers you're answering my prayers and lord that you're living you're a living god in my life and we pray that this would be worked out in us in each one of us lord and that you would do a great and mighty uh, working uh, in our hearts in Jesus
0: name amen
2: Fear my faith would fail Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful path All Just in his holy side he will hold me fast.
0: He'll
2: not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last, but by him at such a cost.